1 John 3.11. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is the word of the Lord. Our Father, as we reflect on those words and our theme of sacrifice, we ask that we will hear those words as your very words and that you might change our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. A couple of weeks ago, we received a message via the church's website which said uh, this, as Remembrance Sunday approaches, I wonder whether you'd be interested to hear a little more about one of the names on your war memorial. S. Siebert is my great uncle Stanley Prentice Siebert, who died in battle in 1917. He grew up at his father's baker shop at 98 3 Colt Street, just down the road here. He was working as a teacher when he was called up in 1916. He lasted just one year. His brother Sidney died shortly after the end of the war as a result of his service. 80 years later, says the email, my mother wrote in her diary, I watched on television the remembrance from the Cenotaph and each year I find this a very emotional occasion. Remembering how my father must have felt when his brother Stan did not return and his brother Sid died because of the war. I never knew either of these uncles, but my father's love for them was very evident by the way he spoke of them. We will remember them. We've been working our way this autumn through the Ten Commandments that God gave his people, the Israelites, at Mount Sinai in the wilderness. And Remembrance Day brings us to the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. Throughout the Bible, death is never a good thing. In fact, it's the penalty for sin, for turning against our creator. The sixth commandment literally says, you shall not kill. God says he is the one who gives life and who takes it away. He delegates the death penalty to human authorities. I believe there is such a thing as a just war, but the sixth commandment condemns all illegitimate killing. And so we rightly abhor, for example, the events of the 7th of October massacre in Israel. And we watch anxiously as Israeli forces try to root out Hamas in the densely populated Gaza city. Death 
is never a good thing. It would be easy, especially on a day like today, to feel that the commandment, you shall not kill or you shall not murder, is so obvious, so universally acknowledged that it has nothing new to say to us. After all, hopefully all of us would be able to say, I've never murdered anyone. But the Apostle John, in our reading, exposes our own hearts. The act of murder comes at the end of a long line of attitudes and instincts that might should stop short of the physical act, but are on their way towards it. Let's look back at 1 John chapter 3. It's on page 1227 in the Church Bibles, um, if you've closed your Bible. We said when we looked at the first five of the Ten Commandments, that they're summarised by Jesus' greatest command, you shall love the Lord your God. Now we're getting to the second half of the Ten Commandments, and they can be summarised with the second greatest commandment, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. Love God, and now love your neighbour. And you can see that echoed in the first verse we read at the top of the page. 1 John 3, verse, um, 30, uh, verse 11, for this is the message you heard from the beginning, we should love one another. And therefore, John says, in verse 15, anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in, 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 in him. Suddenly, it's a lot more challenging. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. You see, there's something ugly in the human heart. I hope we can all relate to and see some traces of the beautiful way that we were made, but we also all bear the signs of the brokenness of a world that's turned against its creator. We know what love is, but we also know hatred self-interest. Oh, we see it more obviously in other people. We try to justify our own hatred, our own selfishness. We tell us it's deserved, it's only right, but it comes from the hatred of the human heart. Human nature says, your life must serve mine. That's what we're saying whenever we hate or wish ill of our neighbour. Jesus himself put it like this in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. He said, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, says Jesus, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, an expression of contempt, is answerable to the courts. And anyone who says you fall will be in danger of the fire of hell. You see, any of those things stop short of the physical act of murder, but they expose a murderous heart. And that's reflected, isn't it, in the kind of language that we use today. Have any of us ever committed character assassination? Ever given someone a death stare? Ever cut someone dead? 
Someone was telling me just last week about the time they told their sweet toddler to turn the television off. The look of pure hatred on his face as he stabbed the remote control made her think that if it was a gun, she'd have been dead. Anyone who hates his brother or sister, his neighbour, is a murderer. I hope we can see that actually we're all murderers at heart. The natural fallen human instinct is to say, your life must serve mine. However attractive we find the idea of selfless love, however much we persuade ourselves that that's what our hearts are really like, actually there's something in the brokenness of each one of us that comes bubbling up when it's provoked. It reveals what we really think. Your life must serve mine. Maybe it's as trivial as when we're struggling to get past someone and onto that crowded bus or tube. Maybe when we want to climb the career ladder and we trample others on the way up. When we want the best schools for our children or the best health care for our elderly, it makes perfect sense to want to be the first in line. We're saying to others, your life must serve mine. It makes perfect sense in a godless society. All that really matters is number one. We're getting to the stage where we persuade ourselves it would actually be wrong to bring our unborn child into the world if they might come in the way of our happiness. Where the elderly or disabled might start to think it would be better for everyone if they didn't live any longer. That's where a world without God naturally leads us. Your life must serve mine. I wonder whether you can admit to even a flicker of that attitude in your own hearts. Thankfully, there was one man who had no trace of that murderous instinct in his heart. Instead, he did the opposite. 1 John chapter 3, verse 15 says, anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. But verse 16 goes on. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Our fallen human nature says your life must serve mine. Jesus Christ says my life must serve yours. Jesus went to the cross as the one perfect man. He was the one person who never had a murderous thought in his heart. Instead, he willingly gave his life at the cross to pay the penalty for sin, to win forgiveness for murderous haters like you and me. As he hung on the cross, he said of his murderers, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And his death led to the new resurrection, the new life of resurrection and spiritual life for everyone who trusts in him. The Apostle John spells it out a bit more fully across the page in chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, 
but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The human instinct of hatred is exposed in our desire to murder others' lives, to serve our own. God's instinct of love is displayed in his willingness to give the life of his son at the cross, to pay for our sins, an atoning sacrifice, so that we could gain eternal life. That love is represented creatively in the image behind me, in our window. Love displayed to the world at the cross. It would be easy to hear a message like today's and think, I need to be a bit more loving. I need to stop hating. But the truth is, we don't have it in ourselves to do that on our own. The brokenness of our world runs right through our own hearts. The Christian message is not try a little harder. It's acknowledge your brokenness and trust Jesus. You see, if we could do it on our own, Jesus would not have had to die. His crucifixion would have been at best a fine moral example, but ultimately a tragic waste. But Jesus' death was not a tragic waste. It was an atoning sacrifice. On our war memorial outside, you will find about 400 more names like Stanley Siebert's. Each one of those lives was given, in a sense, for others, for our freedom. They're an echo of the love of God in Jesus Christ. But none of those lives could, attend, could atone for our sin. None of those lives could remove the stain of our own hatred or aggression. Only the life of the one infinitely perfect man, Jesus Christ. When Jesus died at the cross, he paid the price for our forgiveness, for all our own hatred, our murderous instincts, our self-centered aggression. And so the Christian message is not one of moralism. Be kinder. It's one of helplessness. Come to Jesus, our only hope. It's only when we've done that that we start to find the power to live the changed life. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And John continues... And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Human nature says, your life must serve mine. Jesus Christ says, my life must serve yours. So let us love one another sacrificially. If we've come to Jesus Christ and accepted his sacrifice for our sins, we've turned from that human instinct, your life must serve mine. We're consciously adopting, we're embracing, we're receiving as our own the heavenly ethic of Jesus Christ, my life 
must serve yours. None of us will ever be perfect this side of heaven, but I hope and pray that we can see the difference that it's made if we've come to Jesus Christ. When we see how that one man perfectly embodied the Ten Commandments, when we're united with him by faith, then our own instincts and attitudes start to be reformed. We should expect to see a healing and a love that comes from within, that can never be manufactured, can never be brought about by sheer hard work, but which comes from being made new in God's image. As we start to see that changed life of love, we're starting to live towards our ultimate hope in this broken and violent world. The Apostle John, probably some years after he wrote this letter, received a wonderful vision from God of the new creation to come. He wrote about it in the book of Revelation, chapter 21. He writes, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order has passed away. When we're promised that heavenly vision, why would we want to fight and murder and hate to get what we want? It is on offer to us as a free gift. As we're reminded this Remembrance Day of the brokenness, the violence, the death and decay of this world, let us turn and live out the better hope of the love of God in Jesus Christ. Let me lead us in prayer now. Let's pray. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We're sorry, our Father God, for our fallen, murderous instincts. Please expose them to us if they're not obvious to us already. We pray, our Father, that you would drive us to the cross of Christ, the one man who gave himself fully, perfectly and purely for our sakes. And then please teach us to live in imitation of him, serving others with our whole hearts and lives. Amen.